A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, I'm Alex McLaren. I'm an actor and I've worked as a communications coach since 2002. Now so much business is being conducted remotely, the ways in which we talk, present, build relationships and connect is changing. In this podcast, I want to explore all those issues and prove to you that no matter who you are, you can talk to anyone. Hello and welcome to You Can Talk to Anyone, the podcast where we open the bonnet on our communications engine. I'm Alex. And I'm Tom. Um, And this week we wanted just to pop out a few general ideas, five good ideas when you are talking to people. Yeah, five quick wins or five uh, little bite-sized ideas that may help you to just bear in mind. Mm. Um, So um, I'm going to go first. Um, and I think that uh, this is true when you're talking to strangers. It's true when you're talking to people you know well. Um, it's true when professional and in personal circumstances. I think if you want this conversation to go well, look like you want to be there, Tom. Um, and there's uh, millions of ways in which um, that can happen. For example, if you're going to a party um, for the first time, uh, very often we kind of we're, we're a little bit tentative. Um, for example, you need to know you're in the right place. That can affect your the physical version of you um, that's standing on the threshold. Uh, we can often bring a certain amount of timidity. That's not the same as the politeness of somebody going into somebody else's space. It can often it literally be, be tension, um, and that puts quite a lot of pressure on the other party. I think. Um, Suddenly, it's my job to make you feel okay. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think the again, it's not deliberate, but I think it's um, or rather, it's not conscious, but it is deliberate. It's a desire for you to shoulder more than your fair share of the stress of this. Um, so, I think very often, just being a bit bit more purposeful about the energy physically that you're bringing to the conversation. Um, look yeah. for people. If you seem relaxed and happy to be there, mm. first of all, other people will feel much more warmly towards you. But secondly, you'll start to feel more mm. relaxed and happy to be there because your body is telling your mind how to think. Yeah, I've seen this happen when I'm coaching job interviews when people will will basically creep into the room uh, rather than uh, arrive like they mean it. And the more confident version is almost invariably much more reassuring for the person who's on the receiving end. So it means that you're not, they're not going to be worrying about you. They're, they're free then to engage with what we're talking about. I think sometimes it's about the looking for other people, your, your eyes being available to contact everybody. Um, and uh, I think when you're at your most relaxed and happy and most engaged, then you're available to connect with people um, and uh, so I think being more physically energized and, uh, and present and happy 
I think is extremely good for the person on the other side of the interaction and they're more likely to feel able to have a happier conversation with you. Great. Hmm. All right, I'll go next. Uh, my first tip is talk less, listen more. <laughs> so I think there are two kinds of monologists, hmm. two kinds of people who tend to just speak for paragraph after paragraph, heedless that other people have things they want to contribute as well. I think one type is just the kind of arrogant bore. Mm. I have all sorts of wonderfully important and interesting things to say, and I can't imagine anyone having a better time uh, than listening to me right now as I let forth yet another stream of wisdom. And then I think, and these two, in fact, may be different sides of the same coin. There's also a version of that that comes from anxiety. Mm. Because when you feel under stress, when you feel this is a life or death situation, which it almost invariably isn't, but that's how it can feel, your body can tell you whatever's happening right now is survivable mm. because I'm not actually under attack. But a change in state might be a risky one. So very often people feel it's difficult for them to speak up at all. Mm. The conversation kind of carries on without them. They're, they're looking for a moment. Can I come in there? Can I come in there? Can I come in there? I don't want to interrupt anyone, but also I don't want to be silent for this whole two-hour meeting. Mm. And so when, then when they do come in, they don't, don't want to, to, to give the conch to someone else. Yeah. Are you talking specifically about um, a conversation of more than... Sorry, I'm listening to you, and I think you're talking about a group conversation rather than a one-on-one. -on -one. Am I right in my hunch? There? I think it's harder, and yeah. it's harder again on Zoom. I think we've all been in the situation where either I've been talking or someone else has been talking, and someone else is trying to get in, mm. and it's so hard to notice that. And then you have to make the judgment, or should I just like stop in mid-sentence because someone else has indicated they want to come in? Or should I try and finish my thought and throw to them, and then I was planning on throwing to them, and now someone else has jumped in? And again, if you're not careful, the whole thing just becomes this morass of overthinking. It is better to plan, I think, to say one thing hmm. and then stop talking and see is the response, please tell us more about that, or is the response, here is something I have to say, or is the response, I disagree with you, <laughs> and here's why. Yeah, I think it's funny. I'm, I'm, I think it's almost like the, the the Zoom question, the sort of the, the 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 conversations that we're having on video conferencing with groups. That feels like it's just exponentially more complex. Um, partly because of this this the difficulty of, of how the baton gets handed around the circle, which happens more. I mean, it's still difficult with a large group standing at a cocktail party, um, but uh, it's much much easier. Um, and I think the uh, the when you're saying listen more, talk less, I'm just trying to. I'm wondering what for me is the relationship between them. So, well, you yeah. can't listen while you're talking. So that's the other thing. Yes. If the even if it is just a one on one mm. and it's in person, so you know, the stars have aligned, it's perfect. I'm sure you can remember maybe eavesdropping and seeing other people mm. and seeing one person talking, 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 and someone else is, is sort of going. It, <laughs> but it, Get it. Yeah, it's that, it's that and, almost and it's, moment. And it's a, the yeah. other person is absolutely heedless of this. Mm. So as I say, if you plan to deliver your material in short mm. bites rather than in multi-paragraph screeds, mm. then you avoid that. And what that means is that you're doing both things that are involved in communication. You're talking and you're listening. And then when you're listening, you're responding. Because, of course, the other thing that people mm. do is they're quiet – 
but they're not listening. Mm. They're planning what they're going to say next. Yes, they're waiting. Yeah, I, I think I guess that's for me. I suppose is is my for me the connection in that um, if I as if there's a point I want to make, um, but it's not um, it's not a link in the chain we're building together. If it's just a random standalone, um, that feels like uh, it can feel like I was waiting. Um, and so, I mean, obviously, as long as you know you're doing that and you need to, and you're, you're finding a way of contextualizing it so that it isn't just a change of subject or an interruption, um, then I think that can be helpful. But I think that 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 quality, the, the, I think for me, the reason why listening rather than talking is powerful advice is that it means that you and the people you're talking to, talking with, are working together mm. and you're actually you're building you're, you're kind of you're building together a kind of a scheme of themes and ideas and feelings and stories together and that is what a satisfying conversation feels like but i think also it comes at a kind of uh, it can feel like a risk because i can't i can't be sure where you're going to take this you know, you may want to head off in a direction that I don't want to go in. Of course, one of the rules for improvisers is quite interesting in that you have to say yes. You know, you have to go sort of agree. Yes, I'll go where you you take me, and I'll I'll build on that. And that um, means I can't control the future. You cannot control it. So then you have to make this again quite difficult call. Mm. If the conversation is heading off in a new direction that isn't mm. the one I'd planned, mm. and I've got my my super important and brilliant <laughs> point that I was going to make. And now the moment has passed. I've got to make the call. Either my point is so brilliant and so important that it's worth just crowbarring into the conversation. Or I think more likely, actually, it will be better to preserve the rapport mm. and see where the conversation naturally goes. And you can always throw that point in later or you can just not say it because what point is so important mm. that it's worth threatening the fabric of the conversation in order to make sure that it gets heard yeah you, and you may um you may by and i think this is almost always true you're, you're going to discover things by listening that may actually turn out to be more important than everything that was in your uh, to-do list when you uh, arrived in this conversation um so yes listen more and uh, and and talk less i think is absolutely excellent advice i think uh, a good piece of advice is don't be scared of having feelings about things. Um, now, uh, this is, I think, something which has come up particularly in sort of workplace conversations in that we, you know, having, uh, taking positions on stuff can risk us finding ourselves on opposite sides of the fence. Um, but I think it's kind of a really key part of small talk. So you, when you arrive at a, a conversation with uh, people you haven't seen for a bit or people you don't know particularly well, Picking up an old thread isn't necessarily very easy, and so you, can, you have to find something to talk about. And uh, here in Britain, we talk about the weather, Tom. <laughs> yes. My first remark to you when I saw you today was, isn't this a nice, <laughs> this a nice day? Yes. So, uh, and what's, and one reason why we do that is that everybody is under the same sun, and, so, and we all have um, feelings about it as well. And in Britain, you know, we kind of... Uh, we, as long as you have a position about the weather, as long as you have a position about how you got here, 
public transport um, uh, and, and sort of trivial things that we can still care about, then suddenly we can start discovering things about the people that we're talking to and learning, okay, this is, uh, this is why you like to take a, a taxi um, in this kind of weather or this is where, this, because you live a particular distance. And, we can, and then we can find those things where we do have common ground. You know, the people are always curious about people's backgrounds. Um, and um, and it's, it's so that we can then go, oh, I recognize that and I have connections and I have feelings about it as well. And we can start swapping notes. And it's when we start expressing our feelings that we can mm. really start getting to know somebody because we're beginning to, in a very tiny way to penetrate that mm. professional veneer, which we feel obliged to keep in place. But we're full of emotions all of the time. We're full of feelings about mm. things. And I also think that there is a gendered component to this. Mm. It's International Women's Day week, as or mm. International Women's Day week month at the moment. And so I've been uh, assisting Deborah as she does various talks, uh, mainly remotely. And she said something at one of these, which, which I hadn't heard her say before. And I thought, do you know what? That is absolutely right. No surprise, because mm. she's basically a genius. Mm. But it's that male and female emotions in the workplace are often treated very differently. A male boss who goes around the office having a bad day, shouting at people, will be talked about in these terms. He's on the warpath today, or keep out of his way. And the woman that he makes cry as a result of his behavior will be told she's too emotional. Mm. Both people in this equation were expressing emotions. Yes. But the only emotion which men seem able to express most of the time yeah, is uh, anger. Anger, yeah. yeah. No, anger, the go-to emotion as an alternative to all the other emotions <laughs> yes. for men. And no, somehow, because of that, it's seen as acceptable. But well, it's the same thing. It's an emotional response. And also, it's profoundly, very, very often, almost invariably, it's extremely destructive. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so uh, I, I always think, God, you, there's no point hiring men to do something. They're far too emotional. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the downside. Of that, uh, of those, of that, of that set of feelings, I think is really, um, is really clear. And it's, it's, I think, possibly it's one reason why people are, are they, they, there's this discouragement from heading into a sort of an emotional dimension because there's a fear that if I tell you what I care about, you'll then use it to torture me, Tom. Yeah. Um, when I know what you uh, care about, I yeah, know precisely exactly. how to hurt you. Exactly. And uh, and and so that, and I think that's what pushes people into this extremely wary, defensive. Um, professional veneer and then they look across and wonder why are those business development people able to scare up new business so much more easily and it's because they've found um, ways in which they can be much more complex and nuanced in the way they're expressing emotions with other people or just simply unafraid of making slight hostages um, in that way because they know that actually it's in service of a, of a stronger relationship and, uh, and happier and more I don't like, uh, dare I say, authentic <laughs> um, well, uh, interactions. I think, I think it is possible, and in some cases it can be very desirable, to talk about emotions mm. in a more objective and less emotional yes, way. a dispassionate way. Because there's a, a bit of, uh, there's a theory, mm. uh, a, a conjecture in evolutionary psychology that very strong emotions are a kind of doomsday weapon. Yeah. Right? I don't burst into tears because that is beneficial to me. I let you know there is a chance I might burst into tears so mm. you don't do the thing that will make me do that. Mm. Yeah. So if I can say, I have to tell you that I feel really attached yes. to this project 
And I hear what you're saying when you tell me that it isn't going to do any of the things that we hoped it was going to do, and that's why we should kill it. But I have to tell you that's going to be really difficult for me. Then mm. that becomes something you can factor in. Yes. It's kind that's of quite a hard thing to do, I think, for many people, but it can be very beneficial because I'm not making my distress your problem. Yes. But I am letting you know mm. you should bear this in mind if you can. Yeah, I think um, uh, the it also and you you have to acknowledge that it, in some ways it's a generous thing to do simply because it is saying I I claim the right for these feelings to factor in the decisions that we are making, and I can't claim it without also offering it um, as something that other people could uh, claim as well. And of course, it does I suppose expose sometimes some of the of the really knotty elements of, that we might be battling over in some sort of negotiation. But why not expose them if they're there? Um, there may be reasons, <laughs> of course. <laughs> yes. um, but I don't think we're asking it enough. I think very often we're simply sort of tiptoeing around the outside, um, the, the emotional dimension of our connections with others. And I think it's a good thing to be able to be more frank about it. Funny, I was uh, on Wednesday nights. Um, I'm doing. I'm, I'm attending this thing called Talk Club. Um, I might have mentioned this on the podcast before, in which basically men can meet and just talk about their sort of emotional equilibrium. And it, I, it, I don't know whether <laughs> what this sounds like to listeners. It might just be absolutely sort of they might be chewing their knuckles at the thought <laughs> of that kind of exposure. But it isn't. It's simply we're simply we'll give a number out of one to ten about roughly how we're feeling, um, and then what uh, sort of things have happened that might have affected that. Then we'll go around and talk about what um, things we are um, going to do this week, um, and then we give another number at the end. Of, and literally last night it was, I showed up, we all left after about 40 minutes. Um, and uh, and just the, the the business of getting together just to talk about it, just to process it, even, I mean, God, no, this isn't costly therapy in any way. Yeah, and I don't think it would claim to be a therapeutic process. Um, but it's really interesting how simple it is once it becomes habitual and how helpful it is as well. Because at the beginning of it, I was feeling gloomy, which is why I went, and I was feeling less gloomy when I left. That's really, that's really heartening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right, shall I do number four? Yes. So this is a two-word piece of advice, but mm -hmm. these are two, I think, really important words, and they might be slightly surprising ones, but I think they really can make a difference. Slow down. You need to slow down. You need to slow down your speech. 
You need to slow down your movements. And in particular, you need to do one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. So imagine for a second that you are late for a meeting. And this could be a virtual meeting or it could be a real meeting, but you are late. Happens to everybody. Mm -hmm. And it's an important meeting and you'd really rather you weren't late for it. You're aware other people are waiting for you and that you could feel the stress building up. You can feel your blood pressure rising. You can feel your maybe even your heart beating faster or your breathing start to increase. And there is a danger that when you come in, whether it's turning on your camera or walking into the door, you will be this flurry of activity. Oh, okay, sorry, thank you. I just um, had this uh, thing with the washing machine. You don't have to worry about that, but uh, let me just... Uh, uh, so anyway, and it makes you feel worse and it makes everyone else you're interacting with feel they're on the receiving end of this hurricane yeah. of stress and anxiety. All you have to do to combat that is slow down. All you have to do is come in and do one thing at a time. Even if you've kept a room full of people waiting, when you come in, take the time to, again, mm. it's assuming it's in, in the real world, walk in, look around, smile at everybody, Give them a warm apology. I'm terribly sorry I had a, an issue with the washing machine, which you did not care about, but it's all sorted now. Take your jacket off, sit down, let's begin. One thing at a time. And as soon as you start slowing down, becoming more deliberate, more purposeful, then you start to relax and feel and seem more confident, which gets us right back to your first thing of looks like you're happy to be there. Yes, I think also there's... Um Thinking about the, the, the advent that, that would pr produce really great outcomes for me if I was to slow down more. Um, but I'm just also thinking about what it does for everybody else because when I, if I'm in a hurry or if I'm racing through loads of stuff, um, it first of all it assumes that everything I'm doing doesn't deserve time and attention, um, which uh, is actually kind of slightly depleting my own uh, contribution. Whereas if I slow down more, kind of it says these things are worth paying attention to, but also it allows, it's, it opens it up for other people. There's more space for other people to participate. Um, I think one reason why people rush is that they don't want to let go and yield the time to the other person. I think about this a bit about... Um, relationships where you, know, you said that you have a friendship or maybe it's a family relationship when you're conscious that or it feels like anyway that all of the airtime is being hogged by the other person because they're not letting go they're kind of they're constantly using it up and keeping moving with their energy rather than yielding it to you um, whereas i think a more um, equitable chess clock is more likely to happen if people do slow down and stop as well Stop, yeah, especially when you're public speaking. A pause is really important. And one of the tips I'm most likely to give to somebody who I'm coaching on presentations is slow down, mm. and it is pause. And pausing is more important, I think, than varying the pace. Mm. Varying the pace is also good. So you do some bits where you're really excited, you go, this is amazing, and other bits where you're going, no, we have to take this very seriously Yeah, because getting this wrong would be disastrous. But... You can have a very energetic style, but still break it up with pauses. Mm. And that just gives people a chance to take in what you've said, acknowledge that you've made a point that's worth them paying attention to. And also it means that you can now have a rhythm. So you can get to the end of a section, take a slightly longer pause, acknowledge that we're now going to move on to something new, 
if someone wants to chime in with a question, that would be a good time for them to do it. But it, it emphasizes your control of the space mm. and of the time when you take a pause and you don't fear interruption. Yes, I think when I stop, um, it says, so you have a think about that. It suggests I've got kind of, oh, I have, I've got a faith in that. Yeah. It doesn't have to be um, a swaggery mic no, drop moment. By but. no means. <laughs> but, but also, you know, it, 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 they, in the pause, something might happen, which is actually not in my control. Somebody else might have something valuable to say. Well, and it also gives people the opportunity to argue with you yes. and contradict you, which is another reason, I think, in which why, when people are often rushing. I had an interesting, I was doing some work with some uh, some people the other week, and uh, one there was one point they were, they were pitching ideas to a senior person, um, and they had, they were on a clock. This was the problem. Uh, and uh, and so we were making some, I had to make some brutal decisions about letting it overrun because the value of the overrun was greater than the discipline of the 30 minutes. Mm. All right. Um, but I remember just one point in which there was simply so much, so many ideas. Like It was like a very, very long list of ideas all being said very, very quickly. And at the end of it, I remember thinking, God, if you'd had you'd given yourself the time to say one of those ideas properly. Yeah. Um, that would have been 100% at least more effective. You could feel that the sort of the, the, the race to get as many things in was actually depleting the, the, the potential of the interaction, not just the power of the idea, but, the, uh, but, but what was happening between those people pitching those ideas and their audiences. Um, it takes time to say things well. Yeah. So uh, maybe you, you don't need such a long list of things to talk about. I'm sure that's right. All right, Alex, bring us home. What's our fifth and final tip? I would say ask and tell stories um, and even sort of make stories happen. Um, I love that emphasis. I love the emphasis on draw stories out of other mm. people rather than be the great storyteller yourself. It's great to be a good storyteller, but stories being told mm. is the important thing. I agree. I, I suppose, uh, I mean, the work we've done, I, I always keep on going back to stories as uh, sort of like a... <laughs> There's loads of ways of defining it. Really, at the heart of it is the idea of this: something happened and I changed. Okay, um, or, or some, or there was an expectation, um, there was a surprise, um, and it's all about that, uh, that that shift from one state to another state. Um, and accounts of that are really, really interesting to us. You know, you tell me a story of something that happened in your child, or something that happened to you this morning, or something that happened to you at work, or something that happened to you with your kids, with your wife, your husband, all of that. Um, those things are means by which I can see. A, something being different, uh, and I can identify with that process, and it brings us closer together. Um, and so I think hearing other people's stories, it, what I notice is if you tell me an anecdote, suddenly my white noise fades, and I've got instant access to my bookshelf of anecdotes that connect to that, or experiences which are a little bit like that, but slightly different, or maybe even contradict it, but make a point. And we can and we discover stuff about ourselves as well as other people by our own storytelling process. But I think um, also the, the sharing of stories with each other is itself changes our relationship with each other. And so it's, it's great to go to a party and, uh, and hear a great story. It's great to go to a party and tell a great story. 
But what's really great is go to a party and something happens, which then becomes a story that you tell someone <laughs> yes. else. Um, because then we've gone through an experience together. We've shared that transformation, and however trivial or funny or kind of a, or small it is. Um, and, uh, and I think that that, I think, is something that can only really happen. We do lots of work in our workshops about taking the, as we say at the beginning of every one of these podcasts, lifting the bonnet, looking mm. at how stories work and the science mm. of storytelling. But the thing I always emphasize, and I'm sure you do as well, mm. is storytelling is something you already know how to do. Yeah, Everybody does it all of the time. So lifting the bonnet just enables you to make some conscious decisions if you need to fix something that isn't working. Mm. Because this is not a new skill which you're learning from scratch. This is either just sharpening something which you already can do to a certain degree or more likely reminding you how something works yeah. and giving you conscious access to something which you do unconsciously all day, every day. Yeah, it's funny. And, and I think the, we don't uh, underestimate the fact that, uh, that when a story sort of works, of a kind of a, an account of people, um, things happening and doing things and changing, um, it will make sense in all kinds of other contexts. So work stories are not uh, entirely inappropriate when you're talking about kind of the way your family's functioning mm -hmm. at the moment. Um, family stories are by no means inappropriate when you're talking about the way your team at work is functioning at the moment. Um, and, and any story, stories about your own experience are always really interesting to people who want to get to know you um, so they're incredibly powerful when you're beginning to when you're going to a job interview um, so yeah take take your stories with you uh, and share them and see and uh, and uh, and sometimes remember that you're not just hogging the airtime maybe I'm telling this story in simply in order to provoke stories out of the people I'm engaging with and giving them permission to come back and I think it would be hard for me to say that of these five tips any one is the most important because they're all situational. People mm. are going to need different ones at different times. But I think if a listener was going to take one of these away, for me, it would be that last one. Yeah. I think you do that, a lot of other things will kind of sort themselves out. I think so, because also the, the, when you're engaging with your uh, experience in the past um, uh, and when you're working out how to hand this instinctively over to somebody else, uh, you're, you're doing something. You're, you're present. Um, and uh, and that's not the same as reading something out that you prepared earlier. You're actually it's happening spontaneously as part of the back and forth, the the chain links that we were discussing earlier on of uh, your conversation with other people. Thank you uh, so much. Um, uh, if you're um, interested in following up how this these insights can be helpful to you in your working life, please get in touch with us. We run uh, workshops on all different dimensions of workplace communication. Um, contact us at info at the hyphen spontaneity hyphen shop.com. Um, if you have any uh, requests, things you'd like us to cover as part of the podcast, then please do drop us a line on that same email address. Um, and uh, please like and subscribe to the podcast because it helps us grow the listenership. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Tom Solinsky, or you can contact the Spontaneity Shop at Spontaneity Shop. Uh, thank you for joining us. I'm Alex McLaren. And I'm Tom Selinsky. Thanks and goodbye. You have been listening to You Can Talk to Anyone with Alex McLaren and Tom Selinsky. The producer for The Spontaneity Shop was Tom Selinsky. You Can Talk to Anyone is distributed exclusively by Acast. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.